Yeah, that's the outro. Okay, right, we're doing so we're great. Just gonna get, we're just going to get started here. We're going to do great. All right. Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. Uh, our official sponsor, as always, is Running Aces Racetrack Casino and Hotel. And our other sponsors are Learn Pro Poker and Website Amp. Uh, and in this chats edition of the podcast, we're going to hang out with Dutch Boyd, a three-time World Series of Poker bracelet winner. Got a great story. Uh, excited to dig into that with him. Uh, but first, let's introduce the panel. Uh, my name is Steve Fredland. I go by Rec Poker Steve in the Poker Stars home game. I'm reminding you what Rick Bennett said, that in the long run, there's no luck in poker. But, in, but the short run is longer than most people know. Nice. I'm Andrew Feist. Uh, I am dealer 412 at the home game. Uh, because of the Packer win yesterday, we're going to go with Vince Lombardi. The only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. <laughs> and I'm, I'm uh, Chris Jones. I'm 5x5 five five on Twitter in the Poker Stars home game. Um, and I'm thinking that I might need to have a second username, which is seven by eight suited, but we'll see. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jim Reed. I'm Bluffsterini in the home game. And I just want to tell you the game selection is half the game. And I'm John Somsky. I'm Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I have a quote from Grantland Rice. It's not whether you won or lost, but how many bad beat stories you were able to tell. <laughs> And I'm Rob Washam, Radman50, Poker Stars, and Twitter. And when we get back to live poker, just remember, nobody cares what you folded. <laughs> right. All right. Good stuff. A couple quick things before we jump in. Uh, well, we'll talk about this more after the conversation with Dutch, but real quick, International Series is jumping Fridays, 5 a.m. and noon Central Time. Uh, we are expanding our OPA Invitational to every week. If you're a premium member, uh, you play the home game. We've got cool people stop by and chat with us. Uh, last week, Dutch Boyd, Matt Hunt stopped by. We've had Moneymaker, Maria Ho, and, and uh, several others. Uh, and if you're not a paying member, fear not. Uh, we do use Discord, and we've just added a couple of voice channels. Uh, so you can jump on there anytime you're playing a home game or if you want to talk about the NFL or whine about the Vikings or whatever it is that you want to do. Uh, so with that, uh, let's bring him in. Uh, Mr. Dutch Boyd, welcome to the Rec Poker Podcast, sir. Uh, thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here, Steve. Now, for those of us who are watching this on video, we see the palm tree behind you and blowing and all that stuff. What's, where are you actually calling in from? Um, I'm calling in from the beautiful sandy beaches of Missouri right now. <laughs> <laughs> it looked just like Missouri. I, I think I maybe yeah. see the arch there in the background. <laughs> well, well, thanks again for jumping on here. I know you jumped on our Zoom call recently when we were playing and, and hung out with the folks and they, they just had a blast doing that. Uh, so there, there's so many things that we could talk about. I kind of want to start with uh, a little bit of your history. Uh, the, the inspired by the movie Rounders, right? Is that kind of how you got into poker? Uh, that's exactly how I got into poker. I'd never played a hand before uh, before Rounders of, of Texas Hold'em. I played, played a little bit of like uh, five card draw around some kitchen tables with uh, grandparents. But uh, yeah, so I, I was in law school uh, my third year and uh, I went to a dollar show and I didn't even know what rounders was you know I'd never seen the the trailer or anything I mean that that movie must have gone like wide release straight to video in, in like record time <laughs> because I don't uh, I, I had no idea what I was going into we, we just like you know there were two options so 
we we saw them both you know <laughs> and we were yeah I'm, I'm sitting there with uh with a law school buddy and there it is you know listen here's the thing and from that moment on i was just i was hooked uh absolutely hooked and uh you know i, I didn't i didn't know this until recently so the release date of rounders was september 11th september oh. 11th 1998 so every uh you know, every year when September 11th rolls around, you know, there, there's a few things that are happy to celebrate as well. You know, and that wow. was, uh, that's one of them. Rounders is now, what, 22 years old. 22. Yeah. So that makes you about 40 then. We've just done the math on you. <laughs> <It's about right. laughs> so I'm curious, like, what it was about Rounders. Like, having not played, like, what was it, do you think, that hooked you? I, I don't know. You know, I, I wish I could go back and, and, and tell you why yeah. that movie just you know, just captured me so much. Because uh, yeah, I wonder if it was like the game or like the, you know, the environment or the, the psychology. Or, yeah, maybe <laughs> you just have no way of knowing, I guess. Just, uh, you know, the idea that like, you know, that, that the same five guys were, you know, making the final table of every World Series <laughs> of Poker main event in Vegas. You know, I, I wanted to be one of those guys, you know, so. Right. Uh, I mean, there was so much bad info in that movie, but it was it was actually pretty true. You know, when you look back at like all the poker movies, I, I feel like Rounders actually is is still the best one. You know, I think uh, I think it's held up, but you know, maybe it had something to do with you know studying for finals in, in law school and mm -hmm. seeing a movie about a guy who dropped out of law school to go play cards, and right. I felt like. You know, it just, it, it, it hit me. I was, I wanted to be Mikey McD, you know, <laughs> I wanted to go and hit up a professor for a $10,000 loan and, you know, and, you know, just put it all on, uh, on, a, on a, a game that's definitely crooked that I shouldn't be playing. And uh, <laughs> it just, it, it, it called to me. What can I say? I'm yeah, so, no, I, 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 my dream right now is for Brian Koppelman to, to actually do rounders too. And I think that it would start with Mikey McD driving an Uber and, you know, like get, you know, dropping somebody off at the Bellagio and listen, here's the thing. I really should be going to the airport right now, but I just can't help myself. And he parks his car and like walks in and sits down at the one, three game. And, uh, you know, something, amazing happens but that's as far as i've gotten you know and i've been thinking about it for 20 years so hopefully we don't <laughs> at this pace <laughs> <laughs> oh that's that's super awesome and, and you know kind of what one of the things that you kind of glossed over in there was is you're starting like your third year of law school at age 18 like mm. so you were sort of a i don't know an educational prodigy is the right way to say it but you you went through college really young oh yeah brian koppelman ruined me yeah, you know, like just like when you think about all these kids who got into poker from rounders, I mean, he ruined us. He ruined us. It's amazing. You don't really know what, uh, like how you, the work you do is going to influence people. And the fact is, these movies they really change lives. They really do. You know, like for yeah, I, I don't know about you guys. I'd be curious to know what you guys think. Like, if there's one movie that completely changed your life for better or worse, I mean, what would that what would that movie be? Is there anything that you can think of? Hey, hey we ask the questions around here. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I've got one, but you guys are all going to think I'm a sap, so I'll I'll share because I don't care. But like, uh, there's, there's a there's a movie called About Time, like 
that just ruined me. It like changed my perspective on life. Yeah. Like, like learning how to live every day so you don't have any regrets and you don't want to have to try to relive it. You just say, mm -hmm. I'm going to wake up today. I'm going to get this, get everything I can out of this day. And uh, Steve, that, that has changed me. I loved that movie. You know, for your listeners who don't know, that's a movie about a time lord who can go back and relive moments and he uses this superpower gift to go back and trick a girl into liking him. It's a beautiful, beautiful movie. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Like, and I'm sitting there watching it with like my wife and my son, the Time Lord. Uh, but, but yeah, no, it's fantastic. What about you guys? What do you got out there, Jim? You're muted right now, Jim, or it's really quiet for some reason. He must be sharing his audio still. I'm waiting for the Rec Poker theme song to come up. Well, Jim figures that out. Anybody? <laughs> oh, there he is. A little better. You, yeah. It's the same vein, but. Uh, your your audio is oh there it is. Oh, oh, it's too bad, man. I know he's got something super exciting <laughs> yeah. to say. It probably it's probably like Strange Brew is probably Jim's <laughs> favorite Canadian movie of all time. <laughs> but no, I think you're right. I mean, like like maybe you're, you're saying you sort of stumbled upon this movie. It was just a what are the odds sort of thing. You saw it. How would life be different if you hadn't stumbled into the theater that night and watched it? So it's crazy how life kind of works that way. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So, so tell me a little bit now. We got we're in, we started in Minnesota, the Rec Poker Podcast, and we got Tony Lazar is, is one of the Minnesota guys, and I know he was part of the the crew. Uh, now, yeah. a lot of our our listeners are, you know, recreational players. Maybe never heard of the crew. We really don't know what that was. Talk a little bit about the heydays of of that deal. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you'd like to share. I, I don't exactly know how it, how it all happened, you know. Um, so 2003, um, I, I win my way into the main event. I'm 22 years old. Uh, I just, I just uh, you know, finished working as a prop up in Garden City in San Jose. You know, that was my, you know, my, my first real poker job, I guess. And, uh, you know, did that for a few months, then toured the trail for a few months. Now it's WSOP time, and I, I pretty much all just all but went broke, you know. But the very last super satellite for the main event, you know, I, I buy in and I win a seat, you know. And I, I don't actually realize back then, you know, it, that you, you don't have to play it. I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that you could, you know, <laughs> just sit there with the lammers and you know, because at the at the time, I mean, I. You know, a low four-figure bankroll. You know, I mean, like ten thousand dollars was way too much money that I should be, mm. you know, exposing myself to. Um, and and that's something that you know your listeners should know that if you if you if you satellite your way into a tournament that is too big for you to be playing, it's still too big. You know, I just just realize that you know you you don't get to be like oh well I'm going to just I can't really afford to play the $10,000 main event, but I'm going to try to satellite in. Well, if you do satellite in, it's still too big. You know, it doesn't matter it, you know, whether it's, you know, expected value or real money putting in. It, it should be the same thing. I didn't but, know. Yeah, that. I, I, always tell, so, I always tell people like it's, it's, it's a separate decision, right? You've now have the $10,000. So you're making the decision to play it. Like, even though people, yeah. there's this free roll concept, it's still like, it's a separate decision now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, lucky for me, I didn't know that. 
because <laughs> I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm in the main event, the very first table I'm sitting around and there's David Skolansky and TJ Cloutier at my first table. Hmm. Yeah. I like both of these guys who wrote the book on poker and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm playing and I'm holding my own, you know, <laughs> and I end up doing pretty well day one have like uh that was back when they'd start you with 10,000 chips. Yeah. So, uh, after day one, I think I had like 30 something thousand, maybe 40,000 in chips, which was pretty good. After day two, I was cruising. I was in the top 10. And then after day three, I ended day three with the, with the chip lead. And, you know, back then it was, uh, you know, I, I, I don't really feel like it, it was that different of a game, to tell you the truth. I, I mean, there, there's more information out there about how to play uh, now than there ever was. And there's, there's certain things that, you know, you, you didn't really see too much back then. You didn't really see a lot of three-betting um, w- without just monster hands. Uh, and people weren't really opening um, w- without decent hands. You know, you wouldn't really see the 7-5 the offsuit opens. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, I had spent a lot of time with this, uh, with this program called Mask. What was it? The, the World Series of Poker Mask Software. And this is very old school back in the, in the mid-90s where uh, the, 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 the program was you'd like get off of a plane and you'd walk over to Bellagio and you'd play the main event. And I, I played through this, this, this program so many times that, you know, what, what worked in the program worked in real life. You know, open light three bet light and um, push hard until you start getting pushed back. You know, and that was really, you know, that was really what it was all about. It was like this aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. But then when, they, when you start feeling, you know, the, the, the door kind of coming back and giving you resistance, that's when you kind of have to let off. And uh, there were, there were, uh, <laughs> there were a few people who I was playing with that year who, who were really good at just being, you know, aggressive, but they, they didn't learn that, that trick about, mm. you know, kind of, kind of laying back when they were, you know, well, one guy in particular on day two, I remember it was up against Lyle Berman and this guy was just so aggressive and he was just raising, like raising, raising anytime he was on the button or the cutoff or the, you know, the, we didn't have a name for the hijack back then, <laughs> but what was the hijack? He was raising if it was folded to him. And um, there was this one hand that went down <laughs> where, I remember he, uh, he he fired out a big bet uh, pre-flop, and Lyle Berman called him, and then he fired out a big bet on the flop where it was like nine high, and Lyle Berman called him, and uh, on the turn he just piles it in. Yeah, it is like it was it was way too much, you know. It, it was it was about forty, fifty big blinds just shoving all in, and uh, you know Lyle snap calls. And this kid turns over King Queen offsuit, absolutely nothing except King I. And Lyle turns over pocket kings, you know. And you know, he, that that kid, he he was aggressive, you know. He he made it through just by like, I wonder what he's doing now. <laughs> you know, I, I wonder what he's doing now. Uh, yeah, so day three, I end with a chip lead. Day four, we go in. ESPN cameras all are all over the place, and uh, I end up. Uh, bluffing off a huge amount of my stack, which at the time was a chip lead to Chris Moneymaker. And then kind of come back a little bit and then dust off the rest to uh, Sammy Farah. 
and uh, end up finishing 12th. So went from, you know, low four figures to an $80,000 score and it was awesome. And I had been uh, hanging out with a few other poker players that I felt like had a lot of talent uh, there in Vegas. And I kind of had this idea with these guys to try to start a little, you know, group boy band of poker, I guess. And uh, so we went to LA and we started playing the tournament circuit. And I remember it was, it was pretty cool. Max Shapiro was the one who actually gave us the name, the crew. And because we didn't really have a name. Um, but the very first tournament we all went to go play, uh, the other, two of the other guys, Brett Youngblood and Joe Bartholdi, ended up coming in first and second. And it was a hustler yeah. tournament. First and second, it was like three, 400 players right. deep. And, you know, it, it just felt like everything was clicking and we were going to just crush everything. Um, and for, for a while it looked like we were going to, you know, uh, that next year, Scott Fishman, he ended up getting two bracelets and Brett Youngblood won a bracelet. I came in second in a Raz tournament and Joe Bartholdi came in third in, uh, some, uh, I think a no limit event and ESPN did these nut segments. And so they did this segment on the crew. And it was like a two-part thing. So we had like one of the, I can't remember when they were, would air, but one week they did half of the, the crew and the other week was the other half. And, you know, it, it kind of captured it because it, it kind of captured the imagination of a lot of people because at that point there weren't a lot of, there weren't a lot of like 21, 22, 23-year-old kids that were really in the game at that point. It, it was kind of, you know, the the, the, the young kids at that point were like the Lane Flax and the Phil Ivies and the, uh, you know, Mike Matizows and Daniel Negranis who were a little older, you know, like late 20s, early 30s, maybe. And so, you know, ESPN was pretty quick to jump on this idea of young kids coming in and dominating it. And so after ESPN, you know, kind of kind of watch it. I'll tell you, by the, by the time ESPN did their thing, the crew was pretty much dissolved at this point. You know, we... we we were clashing and button heads and, mm. you know, sharing bankrolls is never a good idea. You know, it just never is. And this whole idea of the, you know, the, the boy band of poker pretty much dissolved before our first single. Right. But <laughs> we still, we're all kind of associated with this. And what ended up happening was the media kind of came along and jumped on it even more than we did. You know, so it was kind of, you know, it, it was kind of prolonged from this media, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it kind of this, this media myth, I guess. And then after ESPN ran their uh, nut segment and, you know, the, each, of the, each time any of us would go deep in a tournament or, uh, you know, during the main event, they were following us and, you know, kind of playing that up. And uh, later that year, uh, Rolling Stone sent out a, mm -hmm. uh, a reporter to do a big four, five, six page spread. And uh, that was pretty cool. And then, uh, and then what happened? Um, I, I, I went on to, you know, continue to, to, to win some bracelets. Yeah. Did Joe you have Bartholdi. bracelets at, at that point? Did you have bracelets when the, when the Rolling Stone article came out? No, I was the one who was yeah. slacking. And then you, you picked know. up three of them after that. So you, you made up right. for lost time uh, pretty, pretty well. Then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris, did you have something? 
Well, I just, I wanted to follow up, you know, um, since I've been sort of, I think we're all, you know, finding, trying to find things to do in sort of this sort of social distance quarantine life. And I've been going back and rewatching just like the whole span of main events, starting with the Moneymaker 2003 one, um, you know, saw a bunch of hands with you on that coverage. And I, I was wondering, um, now looking back, whether you had a sense, I mean, obviously none, it wasn't airing at the same time. It aired later after the things took place. I'm wondering if you had a sense at the time that something was sort of bubbling up there, or was this sort of like a, a surprise after the fact that with that, the whole moneymaker effect and the boom of poker boom that followed and your role in that, did you have a sense that that was coming or was that something that sort of like took you by surprise as well? Uh, yeah, I would say I had a sense that it was coming, Chris. Um, yeah. I, I I remember watching an interview with uh, with uh, Mike Sexton um, a couple of years before, where he had kind of predicted that uh, you know, that poker was going to start becoming this this watchable thing. And that moneymaker uh, year, that was the first time ESPN had come in, you know, because before that it was the Travel Channel. And you know, if anything, I thought that it was going to be bigger than it ended up being. You know, I, I, I thought that, you know, I remember back uh, when I was first first starting out and, you know, went out and just got all the books I could. Mike Caro had come up with some napkin numbers where he had estimated that 50 million Americans played poker. And so in my head, uh, poker was going to be bigger than any other sport. I really thought that poker had the potential to, to really be you know, bigger than basketball and football and you know, baseball because everybody can play it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with, with, you know, with online poker, you know, leading things into, you know, the world series of poker and uh, the WPT and all of these, you know, things, I, I really thought that poker had the potential to be even bigger than it ended up being. Um, and, and yeah, I would say that, you know, everyone kind of knew that something big was happening when ESPN starts saying, okay, we're going to put this on, you know, it, it it doesn't, it, it, it could have been like, uh, you know, it, you know, looking back on it, I, 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 I guess it, it could have just been a flop. It could have been like the, you know, the spelling bee every year, you know, yeah, it could have been, you know, it could have been like that. I mean, cause I mean, more than 50 million people spell, you know, so I mean, why, why couldn't that be like, you know? not, if you, not if you read Twitter. <laughs> So I don't know. I mean, like, but but I did think that something big was happening. I thought that would start seeing. Uh, I thought that would start seeing a lot of yeah. like sportswear companies and car companies and you know Bud Light, you know, coming in and sponsoring mm-hmm. people. You know, have like Scotty Wynn getting sponsored by Corona. You know, and like, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that it, I, if anything, I thought it would be more of a big deal than it ended up being. So, you know, so it would have been. Who'd have been your perfect sponsor if 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 things blew up and everybody wanted to sponsor somebody? <laughs> who who's who would have been your perfect sponsor at that time? Uh, at, at that time, shoot. <laughs> at uh, that time and then now, whichever you want to do, I guess. I'm not. I, I, I'm not even gonna speculate. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I I, I I wish I had something like ready to go for you, Steve, but it, yeah. it just makes me depressed when I think about it. All the sponsorship it's, money that was just like being handed out. Got, and I'm like, sitting here, please, sir. Right. It's got to be Dutch <laughs> Boy Paint, doesn't it? It's got to oh, be Dutch Boy Paint. Dutch Boy Paint, yes. 
Perfect. Yes, that <laughs> that would have been perfect. Nice. See, Jones has all the answers. I'm kind of curious, you know, back on the back on the crew thing, but just just more on the idea of community, right? We talk a lot about the value of learning and community, the value of having other people to bounce ideas off of and learn together. You know, Fader Holtz, of course, you know, had his group of people that 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 flourished in the in that learning environment. You have your group of people that obviously they were good players to start, but you know, went on to win whatever six eight bracelets. Talk talk a little bit about that, like. How important was that to your development as a, as a player? Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's pretty important. I think that, uh, you know, you, I, I definitely feel like you, you do see these little groups of, of, you know, players pushing each other to succeed. You know, I, I don't really feel like uh, the crew was the first one. You know, there were other little groups that kind of come out uh, like the, like the group of players who came out of the Mayfair uh, up in New York, uh, you know, with like Seidel and Harrington and Letter, and um, you also see like the the Tilt Boys with like Andy Block and Phil Gordon and Perry Friedman and Ray First. Um, I think that you know it, it's it is really important. You know, and then after you had the whole ship at Hollaballas. I mean, look at those guys. Those guys were just sick, you know. They, like Tom Dwan, Andrew Robel, uh, Alec Torelli, Tony Dunst, uh, yeah. Shannon Shore. I'm missing so many of the of, of that whole Shibbet Hall of Bala group. I I know, but like um, that was that was an incredible group that just kind of came out of nowhere and crushed. And you know, it, it, you you get a bunch of people together, and they start sharing ideas, and they start. Uh, pushing each other to be better, you know, and mm-hmm. also, also it, it, it kind of push, put, puts you in a situation where you become kind of risk seeking, you know, like the, the difference between hanging out in a, in a frat house, playing a bunch of poker tournaments versus, you know, hanging out at home with, you know, a, a wife and a baby in the next room, you know, you get to a final table and, you know, when you're sitting there at fifth place, you know, like the, the, a group of a group of you know testosterone filled boys is not going to be like go for fourth. Come on, you can make you can you can ladder up here. You know, it, it's definitely going to be like, you know, you're going to you're you're it definitely uh, pushes you to to kind of be risk seeking rather than risk averse. You know, and I think that that's a big part of it. You know, you, you're you're never going to be uh, you're never going to be you know pushing yourself to those upper echelon levels if you're satisfied with like the mid tier, you know, right. and um, that, that was a big part of it. We always, we always pushed each other uh, and always kind of, uh, you know, daring each other to, to, to strive for bigger things. Another big part of it, Steve, is the, is, is apart from all the strategy and uh, apart from all just the improvements that, that come from being able to bounce ideas off is just the networking because yeah. in poker, uh, you know, a, a big part of it is this metagame of, you know, getting backed and getting into the right games and, you know, being able to keep costs low when you're on the road traveling and all of that kind of thing. You know, so if you're sitting here with a crew of guys, you know, you go out to Tunica, Mississippi, uh, you know, you're able to spend, you know, a third of what, you know, other guys are spending on a room because you actually have some connections and you're able to get the backing for the, you know, the 5K or the 10K events that, you know, maybe you wouldn't be able to get if you were just like 
you know, trying to go on, mm-hmm. you know, some poker forum and say, hey, I'm, I'm good. Right. Trust me, I'm one. good for it. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that's a big part of it, the whole networking part. Yeah, um, I love I love that. Yeah, I think I think that's it. It's strategy, it's networking, relationships, all of that stuff uh, for, for sure. John, did you have something that you wanted to, to ask or add? Uh, well, at the time, I was just thinking uh, the big miss in the ship at Hall of Ballers is Phil Gelfond. Yeah. Um, but the uh, as far as your experience coming up in that time frame, everyone at that point in time who was watching ESPN wanted to be part of the crew, um, you know, because it looks way more fun than just about anything looked. <laughs> and I realized the reality is, does not match the the hype. But what as you've matured as a poker player, as you've grown from it, what do you think you've taken from that experience? How has it changed you or what have you had to mature from them then to be where you are now? I'm not really sure how to answer that. What have I taken from the experience? Uh... Or let me put it a different way. What that you know now do you wish you had known then when you were starting your poker career? I, I wish that I knew now, like, like what, it's something that I know now that I wish I knew back then. I wish that I knew back then that the, that just how, just how feast or famine poker is. You know, when, uh, when you start out in poker, uh, and you know, this is pretty much true. I think for every every pro is they they hit the ground running. You know, like they, there's a big uh, survivor bias in poker, where you know you 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 get you know 200 guys who all have talent, and they all take a shot at some big tournament, and two of them or you know three of them end up actually doing really well in that tournament, and the rest go off and do something else. And those three think I'm really good at this thing. And so they continue, uh, but in poker, there's, you know, regression to the mean. And, you know, that whole sophomore slump, it doesn't mean that those guys aren't good. It, it just means that, you know, they ended up being the ones that got lucky early on. And you see this a lot in poker, you know, where, you know, the, the people who end up trying, you know, actually going for it and actually thinking that they're going to try to make a career out of it, have really good results early on. Um, and it's really, really easy to fall into the trap of thinking that those results are just going to always be there. So I wish that I had, had known just how, how not true that was because I, you know, it, it never really occurred to me. Even, you know, it, I would say I still had this attitude, you know, seven, eight years into my career that when I would hit a big score I wouldn't realize that this really had, you really had to weather a lot with this. Um, and I also think that, that that also applies to the relationships you have, this whole feast or famine kind of idea is I wish that I would have realized that the people that you think are important now, most of them are going to be gone. Yeah, most of them are going to be gone. And, and even if they aren't gone from the industry, they're going to be gone from your life in the way that they are right now. Uh, there were a lot of times when I, when I, when I would waste way too much money backing players 
loaning money to players uh, and, and, you know, blowing it on, you know, parties and, you know, clubs. And I wish that I had all that money back. You know, I, I wish that I realized because, you know, the, the money that you end up losing just it has this huge opportunity cost. You know, when you think about, uh, you know, the, the difference between having like a $50,000 bankroll and a $10,000 bankroll, it just puts you, you know, in, in this spot where you can, you know, you can actually capture these opportunities that come along so much better. Yeah, I mean, like, and I don't really want to think about it too much because then I just think about, you know, how I, I wish I would have put all the money that I put into weed for other people into Bitcoin at when it was at $5 and then it just kind of makes me feel sick to my stomach, you know, but I wish that I, I wish that I would have, and I know this is kind of messed up. Okay. But this is like you asked, and this is the answer. I wish that I would have early on been way more selfish and, and more focused on hoarding and keeping every single dollar I made, you know, rather than thinking that it would come back to me. You know, you, you stake a guy and he's going to blow up and he's going to, you know, stake you. It's all going to come back to you. It doesn't. It doesn't come back to you. It disappears into the wind and it's gone forever. And then you're sitting here holding it back like with nothing. And anytime that you actually need help, you're going to go out to those same people. And they're going to be gone. They're going to pick up their phone. They're going to be like, oh, sorry, I can't help you. Jesus, so irritating. I'm not going to name names, okay? But this is one thing that really irritated me last year. Uh, I had made a... a, a pretty big prop bet with, with uh, one of the members of the crew. Well, a guy that like I was, you know, pretty tight with at the time. And it was a, uh, it was a bracelet bet, a uh, long-term bracelet bet. Whoever had the most bracelets after 10 years is going to get a, a, a 10K payment from the other. And I beat them all, you know, so I'm winning. You know, I win. And I'm like, okay, I need my money. And he's like, oh, yeah, sorry, Dutch. I, I I can't pay you right now. It's, you know, it's just too much for me to pay you. So at this point, I'm dealing at the win, right? I'm dealing at the win. I'm here, sitting here dealing one three. And I look across the table and this, this little jackass sitting here playing a 25-50 no limit game with $80,000 in front of him telling me that it's inconvenient to pay me my 10 grand. You know, I mean, and this is one of the tightest guys I've ever been with in poker. You know, you can imagine how irritating yeah. that is. And so I get moved. I'm sitting here pushing him eight, $9,000 pots. He doesn't even throw mm. a tip my way. And I think, you know what? I should not have paid for your room in Tunica. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what I'm thinking is like all the, all the, all the relationships that you're investing in is just not, not, you know, let, let, you you don't you don't need to you you don't need to put money out there and 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 think that that's going to somehow help your help your you know status or career or anything because it's it's just pissing it away. That's what I wish I would have known early on. It is yeah, kind of well. It's interesting that in in poker, so a carpenter isn't going to go to the job and trade his tools for lunch. Right. But in poker, your bankroll is your tool set. So it's really interesting that you and it's really easy to not keep those segregated. Whereas if you're a carpenter, your tool chest, you know, you can't sell that. You know, you can't do anything with it because it's your livelihood. 
<clears throat> but with poker, your bankroll is what you need to live off of, but it's also the tools that you need for your job. So it's kind of fascinating to listen to you talk about that. I find that really interesting. I think there's another element too that I find fascinating is, is you know, is my, my exposure to the poker community, there's a lot of incredibly generous people, which it sounds like you are, you were, you know, maybe it's jaded you a little bit, but it seems like the, it is sort of ripe for people to take advantage of that because, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of nonprofit work with the poker community and they're always super helpful. Yeah, I'll help you out. I'll help you out. I'll help you out. And it seems like that could be the same thing where people are saying, hey, I need help to get into this tournament or to play this cash game. People are like, yeah, I'll help you out. I'll help you out because they're really generous. But then if, the, if there's lack of integrity, uh, everything kind of implodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I want to I want to kind of end our end our time. Uh, obviously, we could go all kinds of different directions. You've got a great story and uh, some things that could really help people. But I want to talk a little bit about Mike, Mike Sexton. Um, I, I'm curious your exposure to him. Uh, I think for a lot of us recreational players, we know him from TV. Like, oh yeah, he seems like a nice guy. He knows some things. But as we've talked to people and sort of peeled back the onion, you realize the impact this guy really had in the in the uh, in the industry. And I'm curious. Uh, what uh, what your situation is in, in regard to Mike? Uh, Mike was one of the very first pros I ever played with in Vegas when I came out for the first time, 21 years old, uh, right off the bus, literally off the bus. I took a Greyhound to Vegas. And uh, he was playing the 5-5 PLO game at Binion's with uh, you know, a couple of other players. And uh, – that was the first, you know, so he was really the first big pro that I knew. I was starstruck at that point because he had, you know, kind of already name, uh, made a name for himself. I think, I can't remember when he won his bracelet. Let me look it up here. But I'm pretty sure it was before like 2001, 2002. Cause he, uh, Somebody on the panel probably knows that offhand. Let me no. find out. <laughs> w is 2000. No, that was his highest in the money. His bracelet came in 89. So he had, uh, he had already won and he, you know, anytime like the travel channel or anything would, it would kind of do their uh, show. They would, he, they would always go to Mike because he always had good quotes and he always was, you know, he, he always was a big, you know, a, a great ambassador to the game, even back then. So when I was coming up and I got, went out and got all the travel channel uh, episodes of ESP not, not ESPN, of, of the world series of poker and, uh, was just absorbed in it before I really, you know, got started and before ESPN, before whole card cameras, for all of that. He was, he, you know, they would always have a segment where they'd have the pros and Mike was always in that and he'd always have his bracelet on and he would always look at it with this reverence, you know, and a big part of that, like that, that reverence that he, that he took, you know, he'd look at it and he'd say, you know, the, the bracelet will be there when the money's gone, you know, and it's mm. like yeah, and he, he really talked it up. Like, he, you know, you, you win a bracelet, you're in this club, and no one can ever take you out of it. And, uh, you know, that really had a profound effect on me. Uh, so I was definitely starstruck the first time I sat down with him. Uh, he was really cool. You know, he was not like you – know, there's going to be a lot of people in, in, in poker who you're, you're going to feel starstruck to, and then you're going to talk to, and they're going to be douches. You know, he mm -hmm. wasn't. He was – he was warm and he was, you know, he was, you know, open and, and, you know, seemed to be genuinely interested in me. And, um, you know, I got a chance to play with him a lot and got a chance to uh, interact with him a lot, you know, from that point, uh, 18, 19 years, you know, and 
here was a guy who really saw it coming. You know, he, here was a guy who, you know, was really the first pro to, to think, okay, whole card cameras are going to change everything. And online poker is going to change everything. And we're going to start seeing sponsorship and all this stuff coming into the game. And he capitalized on it. You know, I, I think before when I was on the, on the, uh, on the home game, uh, I, I said something and I said, you know, pretty much every poker player has less money than you think he does with very few exceptions. Well, Mike was one of those exceptions. Mike had so <laughs> much money, you know, you wouldn't think that he did from, you know, from watching him play. <laughs> he was good. He was a good player, but I mean, he had way more money than people think he, he would have had because this guy saw it coming and he capitalized on it. I mean, here's a guy who had little pieces of party and little pieces of the WPT and this guy, you know, just, he deserved all the success too because you know everybody loved him and when you look back and and see how poker grew mike kind of had his hands in in every aspect of it and really uh you know i, I don't think i've i don't think i ever heard him say a bad word about any poker player and i don't think i ever heard a, a poker player say a bad word about him he really built a legacy that uh i think is something that everyone should strive for not just in poker but in life you know, because I, you know, watching the outpouring of support mm -hmm. that he had uh, those final days, I mean, it was, I thought it was really touching. Um, yeah, incredible, incredibly inspiring. Everybody stepping up and saying kind yeah. of words. And I think, you know, you can, you can tell, I mean, usually when people pass, uh, everybody tries to say nice things, but sometimes you can tell, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, yeah, eh, you know, this, Actually, this stuff seems legit, genuine. It's, it's funny. The, uh, the, there's that quote, death makes angels of us all, right? Who said that? Uh, well, I don't know. Jim Morrison yeah. is credited, but I, I think it might have been before him. And yeah. it reminds me of Chad Batista, right? When he, Lil Hold'em online, when he, when he died. And I don't remember Chad ever saying a good word about anybody. And all he was doing every single time we were playing, he'd be on the, at the bar and just talking shit about everybody. And then he'd go off on these drunk episodes where he'd go on someone's Facebook and talk all sorts of shit about them. He went on my Facebook one time, called my girlfriend, uh, a, a, a little Asian man boy. And I was like, that's kind of uncalled for. And then he ends up drinking himself to death. And all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, I loved him. He was such a, such a good person. I was like, he wasn't. You know, he wasn't. Like, this is, but that quote, death makes angels of us all, is just true. You know, I look forward to that. Like when I die, I wish that I could watch the Twitter feed because there's going to be so many people coming out talking, oh, Dutch was the best of us. Like, no, yeah, I, I wasn't. Think, I think, I think we'll know? probably even say nice things about you, you know, when that time comes. That's just the way it so, is. I mean, you I, know, I think we'll, we'll, we'll find a to. way to do it. Yeah, we'll make something <laughs> <up>. <laughs> But no, I mean, but with Mike, Mike was, I mean, though. It, it Mike deserved so it. so legit. Yeah. I wish that. It just that, seems so legit. You know, one good thing, Mike did it right, too, even towards the end, right? Because he has Linda Johnson come out and yeah. announce that he's about to die. So he gets two days of just getting to scroll through Twitter and be like, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You know, so, like, that's that's how you have to do it. If you see your time coming, you got to tell your friend to go ahead and make the announcement so you get to, like, enjoy all the accolades that are coming your way. Yeah. Oh, be I bet, beautiful. I bet that he had, you know, so many people texting him and, you know, uh, I, I was in that number, videos you know, and, just yeah, letting him know yeah. that he's a legend. He meant a lot to us and we love you. Yeah. You know? And the whole industry, I mean, like, I can't think of a better way to go. You know, I really can't. We're all going to be there. 
And I have a feeling that I don't, I, 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 most people are not going to be able to experience that kind of outpouring of, of support and positivity. You know, it's just, yeah. but yeah, death makes angels of us all. He, he actually yeah. deserved it. You know, and right. I don't think, uh, I don't think that I can't really think of anybody else in poker who, who would really kind of deserve that kind of outpouring. Love it. Well, thanks for, thanks for sharing, sharing that stuff about Mike. And I guess as we wrap up, I, I, I want to give you an opportunity if there's anything, uh, any kind of words of advice or things that you want to share with, with rec poker nation, you got, got all these thousands of thousands of people that are saying, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I play home games. I play bar leagues, man, Dutch boy does three bracelets. Uh, how cool this guy is, whatever. But you know, any, any, I guess, words of advice for poker life community, whatever that might be that you want to leave our folks with. Oh, shoot. Words of advice. <laughs> I like to put people uh, on the spot. That's a sort of the thing I do, you know? It's, call me if you need a lawyer. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the, uh, that's the rounders quote that I'm using now. <laughs> <laughs> Better call Dutch. Uh, I don't know. You know what? Here's some advice. Okay. Best, best advice I've ever heard in poker came from Melissa Hayden. And it was, don't forget that everybody you're playing are just scared little boys inside. And that's, that's more true than I think uh, uh, you, you, you might think. You know, you look at the, the champions of the game, the best poker players in the world, Phil Helmuth, right? He's not that much better than anybody in this panel. And that's the, that's the truth of it. You know, it, it's, in the end, we're all flawed. We're all human. It, and it's it's very much like looking into the you know looking into uh, the jungle and picking out the very smartest gorilla out there. That smartest gorilla is not going to be that much different than the average gorilla, and that's how it is in poker. And you know all of these guys who you know have just seem to crush everything that they touch. Just just keep in mind, you know that there's just not that much of difference between between where you are and where they are. Chances are you're spending more time on your game than they are. That's the truth yeah. of it. And, you know, the, the, there's so much luck in poker. You know, you said earlier how, you know, it all evens out. It doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't <laughs> even out. It really doesn't. You know, there just is like, there's so much luck in poker and so much of someone's success is just, dependent on on things going their way and at the end when they do you look back on it and think oh it's so good you know nailed it um so don't get discouraged and don't ever feel outclassed you know if you do find yourself in a situation where you know you are where where you have an opportunity to take something big in poker you know you're going to find yourself in these situations and it'll be like a once or twice in a lifetime thing you know, realize that one advantage that you, you can have over anybody else at the table is trying to be present, you know, and if you find yourself heads up for a bracelet against Phil Helmuth or on day one of the main event against Phil Ivey, you know, you can have an advantage by staying present in the moment, picking up everything that you can and treating it like it's the most important thing you've ever done. Because Ivy's not going to be treating it like it's the most important thing he's ever done, you know. And you know, being able to really just hunker down, you know, stay in the moment, trying to just freeze time, you know, and and take it, you know, like stay in that moment and absorb everything and treat it like it's the most important thing you've ever done. That can really be a big advantage when uh, 
when you find yourself in those in those spots, especially if you're one of these guys, uh, you know, who are coming at it from, you know, the you know, if you if you're like one of the Darwin moons of the world, you know, yeah. who you know coming in and yeah, you know, now you have this opportunity, and yeah, you know, that's another guy I'll miss in poker. I didn't have I, I played uh, with him way less than than Mike, but I was there when he got second to Joe Cata, mm. and I could tell you. Joe Cata is an amazing player, but Joe Cata got all in for all of his chips at that final table at least four times with an under pair versus an over pair. Mm -hmm. At least four times. You know, that's 15% to survive. And you parlay that four times. That's what he had to do to get through. Now, now Cata has three bracelets and Darwin Moon has a second place. And that's where they're at. Where would Darwin Moon be if Cata hadn't been able to pull off that four hand parlay and Darwin actually wins the thing? You know, I mean, so much of poker success is just built on prior results, you know, and being able to win that main event, all of a sudden, Darwin gets a sponsorship. Instead, Cata right. gets the, the star's sponsorship, you know, but if Darwin got the sponsorship, and now he's being sent to play all the WPTs and WSOPs, and he's the one who's getting to rub shoulders with all of these other players who, you know, are bantering and talking about ideas. And it's just, it's just so weird, Yeah, you know? Cat is an amazing player, you know, but you know, just just don't 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 ever feel outclassed when you're playing against the Joe Cattas because from where I was sitting, and I watched it happen, from where I was sitting, Darwin Moon played a better game. You yeah. know, it's just you know the, the fact is that poker does not, you know, reward the best player at the table. It rewards the uh, the player where everything goes their way. Mm-hmm. So, oh, good. That's I think that's good advice for poker. Good advice for life. Uh, keep keep all that stuff in mind, man. Dutch Boyd, thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate that so much. Thanks for having me on. Really enjoy it, Steve. Really, uh, really enjoy hanging out with uh, the Rec Poker crowd here. So, uh, all right, well, we'll, we'll on, have you back at some point. Keep on doing the good sure. work. All right, thanks. Well, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep going on, do a little housekeeping stuff. We'll f- feel free to jump off, and we'll be in touch. But uh, once again, thanks, and we'll have you on uh, some of our Zoom meetings again, and we'll get you back on the podcast anytime, Steve. Thanks, guys. All right, take care, thanks, man. Dutch. All right, guys. So, what what do we think? What kind of reaction do we have? Definitely likes answers questions thoroughly. Yep. You know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think he brings a, a realistic expectation to what being a poker pro is all about. I think we saw that in our online playing hang last Wednesday. He talked a little bit about that, and you you know that concept of you know a hundred people get into a tournament and. Then, two people, uh, you know, get first and second, and all of a sudden they're the best players in the world. And, you know, Joe Cotta could have been gone out a hundredth because his pocket aces got busted. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the difference between, you know, who's, who's the good players and who are the bad players. And that analogy he had or that story he had where, you know, these guys all came out and they're all about equal, you know, um, talent, mm-hmm. talent-wise equal. And they get into a tournament and a whole bunch of them, you know, make some money and the rest of them don't. And all of a sudden the ones that made money are now poker pros and everybody knows who they are. And are they that much better than the other guys that got the races cracked or whatever happened to them that didn't allow them to get to that big moment on, you know, on that one stage. So it's, I think that realistic viewpoint, um, is very refreshing because I don't think a lot of people realize that. Mm-hmm. 
and that can be both uh, both inspiring as well as frustrating, right? To know that <laughs> the, the, the variant, you know, variance is an issue with a single hand, but over the course of the whole thing, like like you and I, let's Miss Chris Jones and I are gonna we're gonna have a contest. We're gonna see who who's the best at flipping heads on a coin, right? All right, let's oh, each yeah, flip it. 20, yeah. Let's each flip it twenty times. Who's better at it? And you flip it thirteen. I flip it seven. And all of a sudden, you're you know you're way better at flipping heads. Oh man, I wish I was as good as Jonesy. I mean, poker obviously <laughs> there's a skill piece too, but there's so much variance in there uh, that that it can be that can be like something to keep in mind. Like, okay, I'm right there. You know, they're not that much better, but also it can be frustrating because you just know that that queen is coming against your aces. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember if it was. David Sklansky or Mike Carroll, but one of the two said something along the lines of, you know, poker will always even out in the long run and you'll get approach your expected value, but a person's lifetime may not be long enough to <laughs> achieve that. And that's particularly true when they were talking about live poker. You know, I think with online, you can get a lot more hands in. So it's a little mm -hmm. different. So true. Well, anything else? Any other uh, feedback from Mr. Dutch oh, Boyd? Am I getting any audio through? Can you guys hear me? You're, you're good. We can hear you. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Well, that, you know, one thing I'd recommend to Dutch Boyd is you got to see the movie Pool Hall Junkies. If you liked Rounders, you will love the movie Pool Hall Junkies. It's not as good, but it's about billiards instead of poker. Go check it out and then thank me later. So are you saying that if he would have watched that instead of Rounders, he would be a professional pool player right now? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> nice. You would have been tempted. I, I want to, you know, I want a quick show of hands because I, this is blasphemy. I don't love Rounders. I've watched it a couple times and I'm like, the, the poker isn't very good. Like the guy just opens to 10x in the last scene and like, it, just, I, it doesn't do anything for me, even though I feel like I need to watch it because it's called classic, but, yeah, but when... I know it's blasphemy, but it Go ahead. When did you first see it? Because like I, I agree, it's actually not a very good movie. But yeah, I think, maybe only five years ago I saw it. Yeah. Like, see, I mean, you, you, I think you can't. You can't. It, it had to be like Part that of your moment poker story before yeah. poker even had any like okay popular culture, any right. kind of public. Pers you know, the only thing people knew about poker before rounders was, you know, old west style shoot 'em sort mm -hmm. of narratives and movies maverick. this was a movie yeah. that yeah maverick exactly and this was a movie that like at least tried to take the the poker seriously now okay yeah it's it's an enormously flawed movie and i i actually <laughs> I, I tried to rewatch it and i almost couldn't i tried yeah, to watch it this year and i was like that's same here oh my yeah. god this is bad but but <laughs> but it was monumental at the time and and i i think we forget how much how much that movie changed every i mean it was before moneymaker it was before that but it was the first thing that i think brought poker into pop culture in a really big way um and i you know i think, I think that's a really good point yeah well, well, i look I mean, at if it, it was part of my story but it wasn't really part of my poker story rob yeah. I, sorry. I think it's the the story is more important than the actual poker that you're seeing it's the story of, of what was going on in his life and 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 but what. But it's so frustrating. But yeah, but remember, this was 1998. I know, but cut I mean, this guy off. But, yeah. <laughs> but he was winning. Wins. He lost his bankroll. So here's the thing: I was what 12 when it came out, but I didn't really see it till I was 15, 16. Oh, I was we 12 were, when it came out. Yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, 
but I mean, so I was already playing a little bit of poker before I saw it, but then this really got all of my friends to play. And then we, kid you not, we played two nights a week when I was in high school. Don't want to talk about it. It probably wasn't the best idea. But anyway, um, that, that kind of propelled my group of friends into more of a poker mindset. I had already played a little bit. My family's always played a ton of cards. But that, like, yeah, it, it, it is flop. It is a it is a flawed movie, but the story itself about how you know you can come from nothing and just be a Joe Schmo and still beat the best, and that's the whole thing. It's it's like mm-hmm. what Boyd was saying is anybody can play poker. You don't have to be six feet tall and be able to jump set you know three feet to dunk in the NBA. Right. Do in the NBA, anybody can play poker. Not everybody can play it well, but that's kind of what launched at least my group. Uh, you know, going to. 15, 16, 17 into high school, that's kind of how I got my love of poker. I already had it, but this got my group and my community of friends to play. That's pretty cool. Rob, I think I cut you off earlier when you were talking. <laughs> no, I was just I was just saying it's just the story. You know, it's just the yeah. story as I you have to understand that back then they hadn't there there wasn't that much studying going on when it came to poker. So 10x might have been a normal open. Who knows? <laughs> you know, in today's world, we're good. We're looking at 2.2 to you know maybe right. three. You know, if somebody opens five, you go, "What the hell's wrong with him?" <laughs> you know that that's today. But back in '98, sure. that wasn't a concept. You know, people weren't talking that way. I mean, some of the terms that we use when we talk about poker hands today, they weren't even using those terms then. You know, so you got to look at it more as the story then looking at it and trying to critique the poker. Yeah. I'll yeah. yeah this, go ahead, John. There's a lot about that there. Well, first it is probably, despite all its flaws, it's the most accurate poker movie ever made. Mm. Um, and if you look at the game and the player interaction there, it's pretty good. Um, and, and you have to remember, as Rob was saying, you know, 10x the the rules or the sophistication we have now it's evolved over a long time when i was learning to play in uh back in 2000 there were lots of people who argued that you know you should be raised opening for 5x and if you ever opened for less than 3x that was just uh heretical there's no point in doing Mm. that you know, and now, so the game has evolved a lot since then. So you can't look at the individual plays. And a lot of it was, you know, based on stud and other games, not just Hold'em, which is what everyone is playing now. But uh, it's, it's a game, I, I probably watched the movie 10 times, and I love it. Um, but it's because of the feel of the game. And it's, it's got kind of that, romantic seedy feel for poker which is kind of interesting because i don't like being in seedy places at all but yet i still kind of <laughs> like that romantic feel of it yeah. um so it's just it's uh it's one of my favorites but i know other people don't don't necessarily feel the same way well it yeah. kind of shows a different different aspect of like the underground games and kind of stuff because those there's a lot of those that have that are in minnesota if you guys have seen any kind of twitter stuff going on there's there's a lot of home games and stuff so it kind of brings a different aspect of that but what i like is that the, the movie focuses so much on hold'em but it's actually it, they play a lot of other games in there too which is really cool in my opinion like but the the, the cadillac of poker is what they say but he is a he is a mixed game player and that's part of what drove me to 
you know, we played past the deck and stuff too. So that was. Hmm. Well, we some, somehow I turned this into a, a review of, of the movie, but but it was good. I've been meaning to bring this up for a long time, so I'm, I'm glad to get your perspectives. I think that is a good perspective. I think the romantic feel of it. I think it's not part of my story, and I think for me, I just you know, I I consider myself very loyal. Like any of you guys, somebody comes after you, I'm going after them. Like I'm loyal, but like this is next level loyal. Like if you guys take my bankroll, keep screwing me over and I'm getting beat up every other Friday, like it's over. Like I'm cutting you off. So I, I struggle with that much loyalty between those guys. So uh, anyway, but yeah, good stuff. Good discussion. Uh, Jim, go ahead. Pool Hall Junkies, final word, has a much better soundtrack. <laughs> Pool Hall Junkies. Is it, is it Canadian or what? What's the big no, no. push here? Push I really like it. it does, it's <laughs> not right. even a very good movie, but you'll love it. <laughs> Thanks. Kind of getting off of the uh, rounders topic, I just want to like bring up again how, no matter who we talk to, no matter who you hear, always great things to be said about Mike Sexton. So yeah. I mean, just you know, from anybody we've talked to, anybody you see anything, uh, you know, even on Twitter, everybody has nothing but positive to say. And it, so, it feels so safe to ask that question. Like I'm not worried all about it. Hey, so what do you think of Mike Sexton? You know, like if some people passed. I'd be a little more nervous. Like uh, I should do some background here before I figure out if I should ask them what they think. But yeah, good, good point, Andrew. Beloved across the entire industry. Just yeah. one last, uh, yeah. one last thing for people who want to hear more about Dutch Boyd. In 2014, he wrote a book, Poker Tilt, um, mm-hmm. and it's he's gone through. And we only touched maybe two percent of his overall story. So if you mm-hmm. want to listen to more of it and hear more of what he has uh, gone through in his poker career and his life. Uh, it's a pretty good book. Yeah, I look at his website too. His website needs needs some work, but like he's got the book out there. Well, it does. You know, go out there, you'll see what I'm saying. Uh, but but the book, it's like he starts the introduction of the book saying, describing, he says, this is a weird book. So, so yeah, I think it's more about his life and some of his struggle and, and some of those things. So yeah, go check it out. Interesting, very compelling story. Uh, for sure. Well, let's let's shift gears here. And John, since you got the sort of have the platform, I guess, uh, why don't we start with you? What's going on in Rec Poker Nation? Well, uh, if you remember from last week, we had a little bit of a mix up with the TOC. Someone, I don't recall who, uh, accidentally scheduled it for the wrong day. And then so we had to play two TOCs back to back. Asterisk. <laughs> yep. <laughs> on seven. <laughs> On September 14th, the actual TOC day, so no asterisk associated with this. Uh, On September 14th, we had Kelly S196220, Kelly Stork, won her very first nightly TOC. Nice one. And she was on a call with us, I think the, the plane hang, where she said afterwards, she was literally getting up and jumping up and down mm-hmm. and screaming at the top of her lungs. I mean, yeah. that's the type of passion that we really want to see from our rec poker community. Her so, husband was like, what, what's going on? She's like, I just won the free home game. <laughs> yeah. How much did you win? I won a pin. <laughs> silver pin. Right. Yes. Yeah, that was a big but one. But not yeah, real she's... silver. Oh. oh. Faux silver. Yep. It's the color. It's just the color. <laughs> anyway, uh, then on September 14th, Mile High Magic Man, David Phillips, got his second nightly series victory. Graphic 16, Roger Shoot got his sixth nightly series victory. He's got a silver pin, too. I think he got he the does. first He's one. got the first one. Yep. Yep. Ooh, tough to beat. Absolutely. He's one of the top front runners now. Mm. Uh, yeah. 
RanX99, who is who put his name as new guy when he signed up to the home game. So that's the only name I have. I'm sure it's not real. Got his first nightly victory. I'm assuming it's a guy, him. Um, M. Babker, Michael Babker got his fourth nightly series victory. Kambinkley, Eric Jin, third nightly series victory. Gotta stop inviting Eric. He's just crushing these. Absolutely. Yeah. Flying Bricks, Sarah Hansen, an impressive fifth nightly series victory wow. win. And Mr. DZZ18, I think I also had his name in here last week. Richard yeah. Dietz got his third nightly series victory. Nice. Then nice Kambinkley, Eric Jin won his second OPA mm-hmm. uh, game. And Fergie56, Kim Kilroy, got her first international series win. And it is international because Kim's coming out, coming down from Canada, eh? Another one of these Canadian champions we're bringing in to take over. Hashtag border battle. Yeah, let's get, let's get those yeah. Europeans and Australians in there. Let's make that, like that the legitimate international series. Legitimate. I hear yeah. another asterisk coming. <laughs> you cross the border, it's international. Come on. <laughs> awesome. Well, good stuff. Good stuff, John. Anything else on that deal? No, just uh, be sure to sign up and play. Love it, love it. And the internet, like you mentioned, the international series. Uh, we're just giving it some time to kind of see see what's out there. Uh, so five a.m. Central, noon Central on Friday. A uh, chance to win a series. We're not we're not giving away the pin or whatever, but you do get a, a TOC invite for that. So nice small fields right now to to try to capitalize on. So take advantage of that deal. All right, who else we got? Who's next? Anyone? Mueller? I'm not going to call on you because you're going to say, it's not my turn. Anybody have anything else to share? Oh. Uh, we do have Learning with Partners Wednesday at 6.30 <laughs> this week. We do have that on the, it's on the 23rd, though, right? So we're, we're a week behind now on our recording. Oh, yes. So, it's on so as you're listening to this, you miss Learning with Partners. <laughs> <laughs> you can always catch well, up with Post, so. yeah, let's, exactly. do it, let's do it this way. The book study is the first and third <laughs> Wednesday of each month, and learning with partners is the second and fourth Monday or Wednesday of each month. Couldn't have said it better Sorry. myself. Good job, Rob. <laughs> and it's short that, go to rec that poker. Look at exactly. the events calendar. Sign and up if for there's Swerp. If there's five Wednesdays in a month, we're going to do something different on the you, You've been Wednesday. listening to Jim. Jim's got this thing all figured out every, I month, know. every day. I, know. I love that. Rob's been reading my mail. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's exactly it. Thanks, Rob. Jim and I had a four-hour meeting today, and, like, half the time it's me saying, okay, so what are we doing on the third Wednesday? What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> no, so just keep later. in mind, any Wednesday at 630, there's something going on. There you go. Rec poker. Check on the website. Find out what it is. Join us if you can because we're having a good time. There you go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I got a couple other things, and we'll see if you guys have anything else. But uh, I mentioned at the beginning uh, a couple of things. One of those is Discord. So you guys are out on Discord. Uh, we're doing some things out there. It's kind of fun. It's more of a real-time chat thing. We did add uh, a couple of voice channels out there. Uh, what that means, uh, even for old people like me, I learned how to do this. Uh, Rob, you might be able to figure this out too. Um, I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> Andrew's born with this in his hand. But basically what it means is, you know, you can go out there and you can text, but these voice channels, you can just jump on there anytime. They're open 24-7. Uh, we have one set up for the home games, one set up for the NFL. So if somebody else is out there, obviously somebody has to be the first person. 
if you're hanging out at a home game, uh, go out there and click on the click on the voice channel. If somebody else joins, you can chat. You can also then jump to a video if you want as well. Same thing if you're sitting around, you want to chat NFL with some of Rec Poker Nation, uh, you can do that. So that's kind of a fun thing to do. Uh, but Jim, I'm going to go ahead and mention this too, uh, if that's all right with the OPA. Uh, the so right now we've been doing this Tuesday night OPA thing for anybody can jump on there. That's moving to Discord because we want to be able to offer that 24/7. So any tournament, anytime, use Discord, jump in there. Uh, different people will be in there. We can chat. The Wednesday night thing that people love for for uh, premium members. So once a month we've been doing this OPA invitational thing. If you're a paid member. Uh, we come on there and then we got some of these pros come on and say hi or whatever. People are just eating it up. Like I get so many messages the next day. Oh my God. So it's so fun. Ryan LaPlante, Moneymaker, Matt Hunt, all these guys. Uh, um, so we're going to actually make that a weekly thing every Tuesday night. So it's not going to be a separate tournament anymore. Uh, it's just going to be every Tuesday during the regular tournament. If you are, are a paid premium member uh, or part of the wrecking crew, you can jump on the zoom thing. And we're going to every week just invite some special guests to come on and, and hang out with us. Uh, so it's just a great way to kind of build that community uh, of premium members. So uh, hopefully that made sense. I feel like I was kind of rambling there, but uh, Jim will correct me or somebody else can correct me. But that's that's the deal. So any home game, you don't need to be a premium member. Jump on Discord, join the chat. Tuesday nights, paid members, uh, join the Zoom link that's available in the members area. Uh, and you, we'll have special guests hopefully every week. Those and are the announcements I have. A little prize or something. I think uh, Ryan LaPlante was in there a little while wow. ago. He gave away a free month of uh, training yep. to learn pro poker. So uh, premium members do come and show up every Tuesday. You never know who's going to show up, and you never know what they're going to have in their little bag of goodies. So come along down. Nice. On Tuesdays. Good point. Good point. All right. Anybody else have anything else they want to share? I'll just add that um, in terms of member content, um, October is um, all about multi-way play. We inserted that in because that was a, a request that people had about how do I play hands multi-way? So we actually changed up our schedule a little to sort of insert this. We're listening to you um, and we're getting ready for that uh, seminar uh, coming up in October. Love it. And if you have not watched any of these seminars, you need to, like, they're so good. Uh, Chris Jones is a genius putting them together. The, the panel discussion is fantastic. Uh, rabbit holes, <laughs> as we like to say, but just really, really good discussion. So I really, I, I can't encourage you enough to check these out. Uh, it's fantastic content. Uh, anything else, guys? Anybody got anything to do, 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 looking around, scanning? All right, well, with that, uh, just go to rec.poker, check it out there. Sign up for the newsletter, get a hold of any of us. Uh, Steve at rec.poker, uh, always available. Happy to answer any questions. Uh, thanks to our sponsors. Uh, running Aces Racetrack Casino and Hotel, Website Amp, Learn Pro Poker. Thank you to Dutch Boyd and to the panel, Rob Washam, John Sonsky, Andrew Feist, Chris Jones, and the amazing Jim Reed uh, signing off for now, and we will catch you next time. Adios.